You're listening to the AID Network. Hey friends, Disneyland for Designers is brought to you by the Circle of Trust. Join today at the AID.network where you'll get to hear the complete version of today's episode as well as the complete version of all of our episodes. We've got over 910 episodes in our archive where each day I sit down and talk to someone who was able to turn their daydream into their day job. I'd also like to encourage you to visit me over at youtube.com slash adventures in design where each and every Friday I've started doing a Disneyland news update where I look at the news of the week and try to make sense of it from the designer's perspective. How will that week's headlines resonate with people like us that love the design and concept of Disneyland? And on slow news weeks, I explore my own Disneyland theories. The future of Tomorrowland. The future of Marvelland. If Beauty and the Beast came to Disneyland. All of these theories and so much more each and every Friday. YouTube.com slash Adventures in Design. And because I was so pumped up about doing this episode, I put up a two-part series The History of Snow White, looking at the evolution, the idea, and how the film actually inspired an early idea of Disneyland, and then a look at the original attraction that was built in 1955. Today, we're mostly going to talk about the one that you can go ride right now in Fantasyland at Disneyland, but there was a version before, and you can see that over on my YouTube live stream each and every day, youtube.com slash adventures in design. Hey, Jared. Before we get started with today's episode, where can people find you this weekend at the Disneyland Resort? Well, thank you for asking. I thought you'd never ask. I will be at uh, the Wonderground Gallery. I am doing a signing there, uh, and I probably should have had my times ready. I will post it on my uh, (laughs) social media. I'll be at Wonderground and then going over to DCA and doing a signing in the Food and Wine Festival, which kicks off that weekend, first weekend of March. Saturday and Sunday? Saturday and Sunday. Will you have time to record with your BFD land? I will not promise anything. Oh, come on, man. We've got to make an episode. <laughs> we got to make an episode. Well, if you can't promise that one, let's at least start this one. This is the story of a beautiful place known as the happiest place on earth. And all of its history, its secrets, and its tricks that you may find if your mind believes in design and you allow your heart to believe in magic. Step inside and become a citizen of Disneyland. Hello, citizens of Disneyland, and welcome back to episode two of Disneyland for designers, where myself and my friend Jared take a deep dive on the magic, how it's designed, how Disneyland makes us feel emotions, how it brings families and friends together, and how when we go through the gate, we leave our problems behind for a day as we allow the magic to take us away to the place where we want to be with the people that we want to be with the most. In episode one, you got to learn Jared and myself and our stories, and we looked at Main Street USA, quite possibly Walt's most perfect design land in his 1955 masterpiece. Well, today we're going to take a deep dive on our first attraction, and how could we start anywhere else other than Snow White's Scary Adventures? Snow White, as we all know, was the world's first ever full-length feature animated film. And the first project 
that really elevated the Disney brand and helped make so many other important parts of the company possible. So when we look at all the attractions of Disneyland, how could we not start with the property that gave the company their first big win? So what do you say? Let's walk across the drawbridge, let's go through the castle, and let's hook a left and go over to Snow White's Scary Adventures. And let me thank you for joining us for another trip around Walt's original Magic Kingdom. Even though Jared Mariuma and Mark Bricky have both worked for the Disney Corporation, this is a fan podcast that in no way is associated with the Disney brand, Disney family, or the Disney parks. It is made with love by two fans. Hey, Jared. Hey, Mark. Jared M. There you go. My co-partner. <laughs> Jared Mariuma. Uh, Yama. Yama. Oh, so close. Mariuma. Think of a new one every week. <laughs> I will. I'll, I'll never say your name Twice the same way. Great. That'll be the way that we roll. There you go. Hey, buddy, I'm excited to record today. Me too. I do 200 podcasts a year. Oh. I've, I've still, <laughs> come on, how many cartoons you got to draw in a year? I do 200 podcasts a year, and I've started doing dailies over on YouTube. Mm. It's a job. I enjoy it. I feel incredibly blessed by it. But when Disneyland is the subject, it's just the little pick-me-up. I'm like, I actually have permission and space to talk about the thing that I always want to talk about. Right. And whomever's around me has decided to push play because they want to hear it, not because I've cornered them in a corner. Like, here's the <laughs> thing you don't know. <laughs> Disneyland's monorail track is 2.5 miles. Over in Florida, it's 25 miles. You know, like, it's, it's people that want to hear about the park. Right. And I want to real quick off the top of the show, thank you everyone who found us the last episode. It's not like we did a hardcore media blitz or push, but for so many different people to find us and, and, and compliment the show and saying, I love the way that these guys talk about the show. Thank you for saying that because I really felt like quickly out of the gate, we found a tribe of people that are a different type of Disneyland fan. Yes. You know, like we, we know that those aren't real people. <laughs> the characters aren't real. <laughs> we know that it's an amusement park, but we really believe in sort of the, the spirit of, of the park and have a natural curiosity on how it is constructed so perfectly. Absolutely. And I, uh, I got to say thank you for all the photos that I've received on my Instagram of the half red, half white light bulb. Hey, man, we took ownership of that. <laughs> that was the plan. That's right. Um, and just all the great feedback that I've received and um, just excitement for the next episode. Absolutely. So thank you so much, everybody. And let's get started because last time we went with Main Street USA, which is, a, I think, a good place to start because often overlooked. Mm hmm but just embedded with so much Disney history and so much Disney sleight of hand magic that a lot of people would just kind of cruise through there and be like rides, rides, attractions, attractions. I stroll down main street. I pump the brakes. I take yeah. my time. And at the end of the night, I'm like a small child. I'm like clawing. You know, a lot of people <laughs> think that that, that bar down the middle of main street is for like a, 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 a something to ride on a track. That's actually like the grip of my hand. And they pull me down that, that bar down the whole way. Come on, you got to go, sir. No, I just need five more minutes. Don't shut off the magic yet. So I love it. I love it so much. But that felt like a good place to start. Mm -hmm. But what do we do for episode two? Good question. And we came up with this idea. Where did Walt start? What, what was 
the big win of the Disney company. And I think that it's a character that until you really think about it, and I know I always like to act like I'm surprising people. They've seen the cover. They've read the show notes. But I want to ask you right now, you at home, thank you so much for going on this journey with us. But just really stop and think about how big of a global icon Snow White is. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Very easy to overlook with Guardians of the Galaxy and Toy Story and all these really like fully animated and rendered properties that are they're fun and they're 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 splashing exciting and we see things in technology that we never knew would be possible in film. But when you think about Snow White, who in the park character-wise would be more recognizable second to Mickey Mouse and many than her. I mean, mm-hmm. really, as far as the Princess Brigade goes, head and shoulders above the rest. I mean, yeah, if you have kids, you know which one's Elsa and which one's Anna. And if you've seen the movie, you know which one's which. But you could pretty much go up to any stranger in any truck stop of America and be like, have you seen this woman? I ain't seen Snow White. Why would she be in Tucumacari, New Mexico? You know what I mean? It's yeah. just like it is a global icon. Yes, for sure. I, I think it set the mold for how we define princess in a way uh in a way that they couldn't even predicted back then that they were going to do this and that it would sort of uh the the costume the the singing the just the way they told the story would become so iconic and so um ingrained in the disney company and you got to think about it this way you know whatever you're doing creatively in this world you always remember your your first big win you know, the first time that you make a piece of art and it resonates with people and they buy it and you're you're getting tagged on Instagram and it's now hanging in somebody's bathroom. And by the way, I always say getting hung up in the bathroom is a complete honor because it's the one room you're going to see <laughs> several times every day that you're in that structure. So I take no offense to being hung behind the bathroom door. I love that spot. But that first big win of your career, it gives you momentum. It gives you self-confidence that you can do more. So in 1937, at the end of 37, when Snow White, the movie was released, it literally built the Disney corporation Mm -hmm. because not only was the, the first, uh, first ever full length animated, animated feature with sound, with color, just broke so many records out of the gate, but it set up the Disney corporation with about five years of net positive revenue. And Bank of America, whom I use because they were the backers of Disney, (laughs) Bank of America got so far into it with Walt and Roy Mm -hmm. and poor Roy. Yeah. The the world's greatest cleanup man ever. Yes. When you're close to your brother and your brother's a genius. But a little eccentric. Yeah. And you got to go talk to the bank. <laughs> Poor Roy Disney. He had ulcers with mouse ears on, I think. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> He's like, man, Walt is wearing me down. <laughs> but they were literally, Bank of America had loaned them so much money mm-hmm. that Disney couldn't fail. Because it would take down Bank of America. So when they were trying to figure out Fantasmic and these various like huge projects... When you've got that much money on the line, the bank's like, so what can we do to help you make a little bit of this back? And the equity or the, the, the capital that was on the line was the promise of Snow White. So when you think about why this is a reoccurring theme in the Disney uh, line and, and as well as you very visible in the parks, there's a reason why when you go out to Burbank to the animation studio, 
the seven dwarves are literally holding up the roof because mm-hmm. they built that building. Absolutely. They carried the load of that company on their back. Yeah, it's an amazing thing to think of because like, I think it's difficult nowadays to think of what that risk was like back then for a movie. Sure. For an animated feature to for so many people to be involved and to, to take such a risk on just one movie doing well, uh, regardless of if it was going to do phenomenal. Can you imagine if this thing just sort of did OK? Yeah. And, and what was the expectations? Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, this thing called a cartoon like, right. I always try to envision this. This is a fun exercise for folks at home, too. Just imagine something that you've always had. Like, for a lot of us, we remember the first time someone's like, this is called the Internet. Mm-hmm. It works this way. But just imagine in your, your great-grandfather's life, there was a moment when someone's like, have you ever tried this? It's called Coca-Cola. Mm-hmm. Have you seen this thing? It's called a television. Oh, my God, get those people out of there. How do they get those people inside there? They're, they're going to die in that little box. No, 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 no. That's coming to us through the airwaves. You said what? Yeah. So, you know, we take a lot of things for granted that were revolutionary at the time. So it makes perfect sense that a company that is so enriched in telling their story and keeping that legacy alive. And at this point, many of us that are the hardcore like fans We love that the legacy continues on and those little quiet nods to this and to that. In fact, we just came from the park. Mm -hmm. I'm on a magic high. Mm -hmm. I'll I'll give you my blood count right now. (laughs) I have a spicy chicken sandwich pumping through me. I have salt and straw pumping through me. That's right. I have a Trenton X to me. And to top it all off, I just did a lap around Disneyland. Walt's American classic. I'm as high as could be. You're not going to say a word today. I will not let you talk. Good. <laughs> just show up and smile at me and tell me when I say your name wrong. Jared Mariuma. Yama. Damn. Close. I'll get it in there. All right. So when we look at how they use Snow White, it's sprinkled all around. She's one of the few characters that has representation kind of all around the park. Mm-hmm. Obviously, today we're going to do a deep dive on her signature attraction, which is a 1955 classic original opening day. But she has the Snow White Grotto, which when you think about a Disney attraction, and we're not going to do an episode on that today. But when you think about a Disney attraction, one of the things that really separates Disney from other uh, entertainment complexes are the quiet spaces that are designed. So Snow White's Grotto, which if you don't know this, it's on the right-hand side of Sleeping Beauty's Castle. How could you not know that? Oh, man. A a lot of people go hardcore through the center of Sleeping Beauty, but I would always recommend the two paths that flank it on the left and right are two of the best trailways of all of Disneyland. Absolutely. And right now it's kind of closed off because of some construction with the castle going on. But I think I always make sure I, I take a, you know, a side trip around the castle. Very rarely, actually, do I go through the center anymore. It's usually off to one of those sides. I, I love those side p- passages. All the, the off-beaten trails of Disneyland are one of the extreme benefits to being a local person and knowing how to manage a nighttime show and say, if we stick to this outer perimeter, we can just get someplace so much faster. Mm -hmm. But the grotto really is one of those magical sort of quiet spaces. Yes. You know, it's not an attraction. It doesn't really do anything. It just makes you feel good. And it's a quiet part amongst the chaos that Disneyland can be sometimes. And so many proposals. 100%. <laughs> I have heard so many stories about proposals there, getting even getting married there. As soon as I walk up to that area, I slip off my wedding band and I just start <laughs> asking people. Nobody said yes yet. 
<laughs> but I mean, you can be married several times in Disneyland. And then opposite of the grotto is Snow White's um, Wishing Well. Yes. Which, once again, is another sort of magical little attraction. And, you know, I love it all, and I try to look at it through the eyes of a designer. But I always try to remember what everything in that park must feel like to a six-year-old. Right. And that wishing well, that's a pretty magical thing, I bet, to have your mom or dad pick you up, you know, put you on your hip, or to do that that gimmick where you, like, pull up on the edge, right. and when you look over, you can't see the bottom of it. <laughs> you know, it, it's just such a really cool thing. And, you know, for those of you that, that don't know how a lot of this stuff is built, is Disney uses a lot of resin that they sculpt to look like old wood so that it can stay out in the weather. Cause even though we don't have hardcore rain normally in Southern California, our sun is brutal. Mm-hmm. The dew point that drops every night is, right. is crazy. So a lot of the things that look wood and fabricated is actually like resin that they've been able to cut and, and, Put the perfect wood pattern in it and do the splintered edges. So just that whole wishing well, the way that it's put together, is a masterwork of art all into itself. But sort of the other major nod to Snow White, aside from borrowing her and um, her enemy, the Wicked Witch, mm-hmm. and Fantasmic, which is right the best way to end a night at Disneyland. In my <laughs> Across the way over in our sister park, California Adventure, when they try to redesign it, to put more Disney into it, more history into it, the Imagineers made a very, very smart move. Now, this is the first time of three times I'll say this on Disneyland for Designers, (laughs) because this will fall into two other episodes in the future. But you have to keep in mind that Carthay Circle, which is a fantastic restaurant upstairs, um, eaten there several times, great place for a birthday, great place to make reservations if you really want to have a nice trip. Or even just the lounge. Yeah, the lounge is great downstairs. If you time it appropriately, they'll let you go out on the balcony and watch the parade rip around the corner there. Just a fantastic restaurant. When you go upstairs, it feels just like old Hollywood. Mm -hmm. You know, the decor of it's really, really nice. But Carthay Circle was the theater that Snow White premiered in in 1937 up in Los Angeles. So the thing that I really enjoy about that is when you think about the fact that that movie theater is where Walt's career really took off. Mm -hmm. It was the first major risk and the first major reward. And now that's the anchor of California Adventure. But if you were to walk straight from that thing, and there's going to be a lot of obstacles to go around right. to keep going straight. But let's just pretend that you're just in Disney by yourself and there's nobody else on planet Earth. And this is where I'm going to come during the apocalypse. But <laughs> if you just walk straight from Carthay Circle, you would go straight smack dab into Sleeping Beauty's Castle. That's right. Which was his last big win, his last big risk. At that point in his life, people told him, you're successful. Just enjoy your kids. Right. Spend time with your wife. Like you're going to keep gambling. You're going to eventually lose. And he didn't listen to that. And he put his own money in and he fought to build the park. So just keep in mind that the next time you're either in front of Sleeping Beauty or in front of Carthay or anywhere in between the two, those two buildings are the bookmarks of greatness. Those are the bookends of greatness. Those are the two things that keep the whole shelf together. Mm -hmm. And all the little volumes in between are really a great American story 
of risk and reward. And I just love those two buildings being opposite of each other like that. It is amazing. How much do you think of that was intentional? Now, I know that that the plan was to sort of represent different eras of Walt's life, right? So you've right. got the small town of, of Main Street, and then you've got sort of this uh, 20s, 30s suitcase Santa dream <laughs> um, on the other side there. But like you're saying, to walk out of that thing, to 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 parallel those two, and, and Carthay has certainly become sort of the castle, I think, uh, of that park instead of what the uh, the Bear Mountain, which was supposed to be the the iconic piece. Yeah, Grizzly Peak has just not really resonated with mm-hmm. fans. And, you know, I'm a hardcore annual pass holder. I still have not rode that attraction <laughs> because I can't justify walking around chafed all day. <laughs> Okay, now we got to get you on that ride. <laughs> but also, with that ride, like a lot of things were built in DCA 1.0, mm-hmm. there's no real storytelling, right? You don't mm. you don't go through a village. Right. There's not characters inside the mountain. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just an inner tube ride. Yeah, that, that is you're going to get drenched on completely, and then have to walk another. You know, seven thousand steps. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's different from Slash Mountain, where you get the great story buildup, and it kind of makes sense that you're going down this thing. It's just sort of like, how wet can we get you with some pretty rocks right. around you? And now charge you a couple bucks to dry off those <laughs> heat tunnels across the way. But no, you know, I don't know how much of that was exactly planned, right? Because you know, this is this is literally one of my own. Mm-hmm. Ways that I tell the Disney story. Right. Um, this wasn't like a fun fact I saw in 10 things you need to know about California adventure. <laughs> Number one. It does just literally, when you look at it, that to me is the symbolism. And, yeah. you know, you just think of the big one and the other. My only complaint is that I do wish that they had made Carthay Circle just a little bit bigger. Mm. You know, like the actual building itself or the interior, like where you can. The, the, the building itself a little more prominent I in just that area. wish it was a little bit taller and um, just had a little bit more of impact on it mm-hmm. I could see that yeah especially like we were saying in the in one of the last episodes I think one of the last episodes the last episode was how that uh, center hub of DCA doesn't really it's not as central as it is in Disneyland yeah and to have something that's more prominent right there I think would have helped a lot and something that we might talk about in today's bonus content, but DCA is going to get really interesting that there, there's that hub there that's a little bit disjointed mm-hmm. where it all comes in, not nearly as masterful as across the way at Disneyland. But soon you could go to that hub that's going to lead you over to the Avengers Marvel hub. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be kind of an interesting park that has multiple sort of spokes you know, because they want the Marvel Land to be a central icon, and then you can kind of choose your adventure from that that centerpiece. So, so I wonder if we can stay there for just a second. Yeah. Though. How do you think it's going to? So we've got you walk in. You've got Hollywood Land off to your left there. Yeah. Straight ahead is that sort of nothingness that goes towards Cars Land, goes towards everything else in the pier, and then to the right you can go to Soarin' and uh, the Grizzly stuff. Where will the Avengers or the Marvel Land be apparent from that spot? So it, it, from that generic pathway right now? Yeah. So it's my understanding that if we were to go into DCA and go past the fountain. So okay. like right now we are standing in our mind's eye with Carthay Circle to our left. Yeah. And we've got that little info kiosk to our right. right. And you can start to see that, you know, the great thing about Grizzly Peak is that 
it's how Disney makes a fence. Mm-hmm. That rock war, rock work, that waterfall. I didn't know if I was going to say rock work or waterfall. Yeah. So rock work. Uh, Jared, Mary, Yuma. Yama. Duh! Oh, man. I'm going to stop now. I'm just going further down the wrong way. <laughs> it's Mark Brickley. Brickley, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then when you... When you're standing where that waterfall is, yeah. remember how you used to look over and see it's a bug's life? Right, right. That's going to be the backside of a, a Spider-Man attraction, okay. which I'm believing to be because that was just a room that was big enough for a movie theater. Uh-huh. So I think we're going to go into a theater. We're going to probably maybe sit in the round or in a half circle, and there will be animatronics and projections and digital stuff all around us. That's just my imagination right, from right. concept art and what they're doing in other parks. But I believe that right when you get on the back side of Carthay Circle, there might be a little bit of vegetation, a couple of palms or whatever to break it up. But then your eye is going to see rock work to the right, Raider Springs off to the distance, and then the entryway into Marvelland there to your left. Okay. And if done correctly, you know, Tower of Terror will be sort of that third layer of storytelling. Right. right. You'll be there at the entry point, and then there'll be that always inviting path that'll make you want to go in and explore more. So Hollywood Land stays for the time being. For the time being. Okay. And then you've got... So do you think there will be an actual land entrance there or do you think they're going to have it make sense with the spider-man ride being right there like will it have to do with that or more of a generic superhero alley kind of thing i think that the way that the marvel land is going to work is that there will be these different entry points yeah there will be for in phase one there will be the path that we're mentally standing on right now Mm -hmm. they'll be over by uh the the junkyard right right there will be on the other side of Luigi's dancing cars, mm-hmm. and then there will be over where it is right now in Hollywood. front of the um, Guardians of the Galaxy. Right. So those are our entry points. I think that you kind of wander into the adventure, and then it will lead you into that main hub, which will be some sort of Avengers fountain or yeah. main decor there in the middle. And I think th- that will be sort of like, there's all these adventures, we come together as the Avengers. Right. That's okay. how I'm reading that story. That's phase one. Phase two is believed that the parking lot that sits behind the Tower mm-hmm. of Terror will become a huge uh, enclosed Avengers roller coaster. Okay. But then I'm looking at it this way. If you look at Hollywood Land, it's the most wasted space ever. Right. It's this park's version of, of Tomorrowland. Easy, yes. There's three massive warehouse buildings over there. There's the um, the Muppets Theater that's not being used. There's, oh. a, there's the Pixar... Um, Toy Story or um, Monsters, Inc. Thank you. Monsters, Inc. ride, which is basically just a Band-Aid on a wound. (laughs) So it wouldn't be impossible to think that that whole eastern or, yeah, the the eastern side of the park there could become truly a California adventure if it was all Marvel. Right. And with doing different things where we go into theaters and we go on adventures, like those aren't the hardest rides to shift over if one property sort of... Fades. fades out yeah. and then something like black panther they go well we didn't know this was going to be this popular right maybe we can take this incredible hulk thing that's a little long in the tooth and swap it out for something else but i mean i really think that that whole area and with that urban look that it has the hyperion theater would fit in perfectly mm-hmm. i mm-hmm. mean you could totally see that being in a comic so i think that that whole area is on notice to become something of its full potential and if you think about it with Star Wars land on the other side. Yep. You need a massive anchor 
to keep the audience split between the two parks. Right. I agree. So I know we're getting off subject here, but this is fun. So I'm going to keep going a little bit. Um, how do you feel? So my concern with this Marvel land, because you're bringing in all these sort of different characters and they, they sort of exist in a real world situation. Sure. It's not a fantastic world, not like guardians. Um, is there any concern that this might just be a generic city? Like, is that kind of dull or is there enough? Do you think that they can dress it up so that it's specific to Marvel or specific to one of these movies, Stark industries or yeah. something like that. So it's not just like, Oh, it's office buildings. Cause that doesn't sound fantastic. Yeah, so the renderings that I've seen so far, the the hook to them seems that it's um, industrial meets military meets, you know, fantasy of the future. Yeah. So it's kind of spacey, kind of utilitarian, yeah. kind of, you know, a combat zone. And the there's a beautiful rendering of the whole layout of this uh, area that they're going to build, I believe, in Hong Kong, uh-huh. that it's just... It's levels and levels, layers and layers, buildings and buildings. And, you know, the the blue sky imagineering is always the ultimate potential in anything. But if they got half of that comp art right, right. it would just be fantastic. So to answer your question, I think that they're going to have – it's going to be future enough to not feel like our world. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to have video projection boards, you know, logos and little like, you know, the little winks of things here and there, shield logos and, and, and different items all around. But I think the real idea of it is, is that because superheroes kind of are real people, yeah. it's seeing this land and then seeing a, a shield truck come around with right. Captain America riding on the back of it with Black Panther next to him. Right, right. So, you know, I think that they've learned their lessons from Tomorrowland. Don't go so far out on a ledge that 10 years later you it look expires. like a joke. Right. So I think that they're kind of finding a sci-fi futuristic safe spot mm-hmm. to, to build in. And the last question for me then on this is, have they stated anything about storyline for the overall land? Like this will take place between these two Avenger films or something like that where, where they can all exist See, together? I think, and this is just me speculating, but I think that the... Marvel Land yeah. is going to rely so heavily on digital imaging. Mm. So if you're riding a ride, there's going to be video boards around you. Ah. If you go into a show, there's going to be video boards around you. So if you look at Guardians of the Galaxy, right. it's literally skinned so that during the Halloween season, they can do Monsters After Dark mm-hmm. and show a different attraction in the evening they do in the daytime. Yeah. So I feel like this is all being built to evolve with the cinematic universe. Right. My hope, my guess, but it seems like if you keep your core characters there, and that's not going to change. Right. And what's the cost of switching out an animatronic if, you know, uh, we need to get rid of the Chris right. Hemsworth Thor because he's not doing it anymore, so, you know, switch out with somebody else. Um, but with the use of the video boards, I feel like there's a window there to tell the story for quite some time. Yeah. Okay. And I know one of the first things we're getting is we're getting the Spider-Man sort of showroom. Mm-hmm. We're going to get uh, a Doctor Strange meet and greet where there'll be his Manhattan like row house with that big fantasyful window. Yeah. And also the smartest thing that they're doing, and I'm a non-drinking person, but I'm excited to see Ant-Man's microbrewery. Oh, Okay. Very good. There's a lot of play on words there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you look at the actual rendering, there's like a giant like can 
So I'm assuming uh, that with the microbrewery for Ant-Man, it's going to be we're going to play with scale. Yeah, Bugs and, Land all over again. And imagine having a couple uh, microbrew beers in you, and you start going, oh, "That can's pretty big. <laughs> it's going to be fun." <laughs> yeah, right. But you know, that's how the storytelling of today mm-hmm. is transforming out, and how they're trying to think for you know because you got to keep in mind. And this is what I was talking about over my YouTube live stream that I did, uh, which would be last Friday now. The real estate of Tomorrowland, that whole area of Tomorrowland, you know, let's start from the edge of it's a small world and walk ourselves all the way up to the farthest other point, which would be Space Mountain, the Mm -hmm. backside of Main Street. That parcel of land, you cannot put a price tag on how viable that side of the park is. And I don't want you to think about what properties you put in there for the next 10 years. I want you to think about that piece of land and its legacy for the next 100 years. Mm-hmm. You know, Disney's going to turn 100, not right. too far. And then it's going to hit 150. And that plot of land is so important to think about what goes there. So I think as we're seeing a lot of these things roll out, the neighborhoods of Pixar appear. And now this whole urban sprawl that they're doing in, in steps and phases of a Marvel land, I think that they're really into the mindset of this thing's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, the Star Wars Galaxy's Edge was built with a space that's called Future Expansion. Mm-hmm. And it's someday, if they ever want to say, Toontown's cool, but we need more Star Wars land, right. they could go right in. Oh, that would break my heart. Would that break your heart? I think just from a, like, a philosophical standpoint, that would kill me. But yes, I agree. I agree. To evict Mickey out of his own heart? <laughs> yes, exactly. Thank you for joining us for episode two of Disneyland for Designers. We would ask that you please leave us a positive review wherever you're listening to the show today and as many stars as possible. By helping spread the word of Disneyland for Designers, you'll help keep us coming to you each and every month. Let's get started with today's deep dive, Snow White's Scary Adventures. That's the future, but Mm -hmm. the past, where we're going today... Of when they built the park in 55, right? they knew they had to put Snow White in there. It had to be a prominent placement because after all, that was their icon, mm-hmm. you know, Sleeping Beauty. When the park released, when the park opened up, I should say, Sleeping Beauty would not go into theaters for like four more years. Yeah. 
the fact that they put the Sleeping Beauty castle in there is amazing to know that Walt's like, oh, well, we're going to put her castle in our park because right. it's going to be a marketing piece for the film that we're starting to work on. Mm-hmm. That is genius. Yeah. Complete genius. And luckily the movie was good. Right. Because could you imagine if when you walked in the middle of the park, there was a huge statue of Jar Jar Banks? Like, we <laughs> thought it was going to be good. We thought it was going to work. Hey, friends. Today's episode of Disneyland for Designers is brought to you by my friends of JackPrince.com, where they support all of the content that Adventures in Design makes because JackPrince.com loves supporting creative people making creative products. Whatever you're trying to make, whether it's apparel, stationery, business card, stickers, Jack Prince will dazzle you with all the different options that they have available. Customization is what they do better than anyone. And when you listen to this show, you can always save money by going to jackprince.com slash circle of trust. Jack Prince will love to work with you on your next project for you, for your clients, or for your brand or band. And I'll tell you this, if you keep the setup the same, They'll even let you switch out the artwork on the exact same order. So imagine putting an order in for one set of stickers, but you get to change the art five different times. Also the same with the customized notebooks. So maybe you could do something for your clients, slip a little bit in for yourself, or just put all your clients work together and make a little money for yourself. At jackprince.com slash circle of trust, you'll always save by listening to Adventures in Design. So when you go into the beloved fantasy land, which was such an important part of the original park. Yes. It launched with three rides, Mr. Toad, Peter Pan, and Snow White. And they thought enough of Snow White to put her over there by herself. You know, because there's three, two on the other side, her over there by herself. Mm-hmm. And even though that the ride that we all enjoy today is not the original. Right. You know, in 83, um, they went through and did all of the facades. Went from that classic, like, circus tent look. Yeah. To make it look like a European village, which that facade is absolutely beautiful. Oh, amazing. Like, that's why I love that area so much. Uh, and it just, I think that was like one of the first steps towards this like classic, like along with what they did with Main Street originally is to create this sort of timeless place for these things to live. And really put the fantasy and land into fantasy land. Like mm-hmm. when, you're, when you're in that horseshoe behind the castle yeah and i always debate do i enjoy the castle more from the front or from behind just because it has such a magical spirit on each side like it feels even bigger when you're behind it yeah because you're up on top of it so closely you don't get that long long look because king arthur really kind of ices you out from seeing it right right no it's like from the other side it's iconic it almost seems like a logo yeah uh, like a glorious logo at the end of this wonderful street from the backside, it fits in with that land so well and like we were looking at today how that castle really does extend completely through fantasy land so it is it is just as much a part of that backside as it is the front i think which is fantastic because the actual shape of the castle is very abstract. And I'm sure we'll talk mm-hmm. about this when we do a Sleeping Beauty episode, because maybe we'll talk about that one day. But there's the front of the castle that looks very defined. But then when you go to use the restroom in between Matterhorn and like Fantasyland on the right. backside of Alice, yeah. the castle also reappears yeah. over there. <laughs> yeah, it does. Then it kind of disappears. <laughs> and then it runs the length behind all of the show buildings mm-hmm. in Fantasyland until you get to the um, the restaurant over there on the far end. So it, they kind of conveniently pop up the shape of it when they need it. And mm-hmm. it kind of dissipates when they don't need a little castle there. 
Right. Yeah. No, it's like the, the, the through line for, for all of that. Because Fantasyland does sort of take, once you're out of that uh, merry-go-round area, it, it snakes back towards Small World and it's got a strange shape there. And so Alice even has sort of its own section, not associated really with the castle. But like you said, there's there's the castle right there. I love that the Alice is, it's the same as the others, mm-hmm. as the core four, but it's on its own. Yeah. And I think that that's really good for sort of the adventure and storytelling of Alice is out on her own. Yes. It's a different kind of movie. Right. It's a different kind of adventure. It's a different kind of attraction with the indoor outdoor, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a very different ride. And if you can ever time it properly coming out of Alice in Wonderland around nine 30 when a parade is going by (laughs) and a monorail (laughs) comes by (laughs) and you got the Matterhorn and it's just all the layering right there. I love the layering of Disneyland so much. Yep. So much. And I hate that they had to add a lot of that uh, railing in around that ride because it used to look so fantastic. Like you were going to go off the edge and just beautiful. So I get it, but it's unfortunate. I'm the reason for the railing. One night I got so high on the magic, I drove my caterpillar right right off off the the edge. edge. (laughs) I'm like, I'm getting in that parade. I, I deserve to be in that parade. Here I come. And I just went right off the edge. No, I agree with you. That's the one part of that OSHA railing Mm -hmm. that is pretty noticeable. But as we were talking about today, that extra bit of rock work of Sleeping Beauty's castle, right? that OSHA railing is nice. The extra uh, gunpowder barrels at the last scene of Pirates is nice. Right. And also that extra spiral that we have on top of Space Mountain, which is just a safety rail. Mm-hmm. Like they, they did as best as they could, but I guess with Alice, they wanted to do something that wouldn't completely block that view. Right. But safety first. Yep. Absolutely. So when we look at the 1955 original, uh, and you got to keep in mind that at this moment, in America, we're the only one that has a, a Snow White dark ride. That's right. They removed the dark ride from Disney World, mm-hmm. and everybody loves when they take out a ride and replace it with a meet and greet. <laughs> <laughs> hey, kids, don't forget that meet and greet. <laughs> Never gets old. But in 1983, they redid the, the facade. They yeah. reimagined all that to make it look like um, a European village. And when I was working for the Wonderground Gallery, Mm -hmm. that was one of the projects that I really put my hand up for. I took it because I wanted to just have the excuse to walk through there with a GoPro, capture each and every detail, sit down, try to figure out how to fit it on one 18 by 24 inch sheet of paper and just draw my little heart out. (laughs) And I did it. It's a phenomenal area in in general, especially the Snow White ride, though, as we looked at today a little bit closer. There are so many details that could have easily have been left out that you wouldn't have even noticed if they left out that are just uh, fantastic. So much woodwork and and little character heads and just design elements that are just brilliant. When we look at the front facade, one of the things that you realize at the top is there's sort of that like that peak Mm -hmm. and it's very intricate it has a doorway it has a rail that's all just storytelling right i'm not certain that there's anything happening up there or anything going on except for one of my disneyland pro tips Uh keep listening to find out no i'm being funny but i love that they made the name of the attraction looked as if it's recessed into the concrete. Mm-hmm. Looks like it's been chiseled in there. And a really cool, there's that, you know, little slight balcony. Yeah. Or the way that the building like protrudes out and then there's that cathedral shaped window. Uh-huh. But that is held up by those ravens standing yep. on top of skulls. Yes. 
What Snow a, White scary adventure. What a detail to put in there. And then there's the big flowers that are around the, the, the namesake. And if you look at the attraction, what's interesting is, is that the bottom level of all of the, uh, the main pillars, mm-hmm. you get a heart and a sword, which tells the story of, you know, the prince and sort of, um, you know, honor. There's animals, there's rabbits and stuff. Yep. But as you go further up that building, the things that are stamped into it get darker and darker and darker. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a vertical journey from innocence to complete terror. That's interesting. Yeah, I didn't really actually notice that. But I mean, that seems to be the theme of this ride, right? Like right. trying to emulate that movie in this sort of subconscious way. Fantastic. So when you walk up to it, one of the first things that you're giving are three options. There's really only one option. But the fact that they built the three doors. Yeah. Let's once again, imagine being six years old. You walk up. There's these three very narrow and tall doors. They're way taller than what they need to be. And you're immediately like, you, you know, we're trained to read in this country left to right. Mm-hmm. So you would go up there, you would look left to right, and the one on the right is open. The first thing you do is you go on that turn and they narrow that hallway down so much. Yeah. You know, and it's like if you're adults and you're trying to have a conversation, you're like, oh, we got to go single file. <laughs> right. Maybe that's line control. But what I want to think is imagine being younger and you realize like, oh, my, my dad has to walk in front of me. And now I'm just going down this corridor. And because it's a circle, you never really get to see what's next. And it's the only dark ride. In Fantasyland, that actually has a bit of a pre-show. Yes. And the pre-show, coincidentally, could also be the cover of a Slayer album. Right. <laughs> terrifying. It's terrifying. <laughs> so throw coins at it. Coins and bills. When you look inside that little jail cell, there's that amazing statue mm-hmm. of, you know, some sort of like... Is, is bird it condor? Yeah, or kind of, or yeah. it looks like a medieval bird. There's a skull on the table. There's candles. Because people that go to Disneyland have too much money right there's change in there everywhere lots of change and now dollars yeah <laughs> people throw dollars <laughs> disneyland fun fact whenever you see areas where people throw change in there i've researched and from what i know and this could be wrong but from what i've seen all of that money gets scooped up and it goes to children's hospital of orange county which Fantastic. seems to be true because that's their big beneficiary mm-hmm. they do the yeah. chalk walk and all that right. stuff that's right which is pretty cool but that that Right there. That corner around yes. is so different than anything else that you're going to see. And then as you pivot around, we're now in the happy space. So I'm assuming that was added with the remodel. Is that yeah. correct? There was not anything there before or like I don't know much about pre-remodel Fantasyland. So the attraction is pretty much completely different than the original version. Okay. Like they ripped it down to the studs. Um, and the whole path that you used to go on was quite different. And when I was doing my research, I found varying details on what it used to look like. But keep in mind that they redid it all in the early 80s. Right. Not everybody was walking around with an HD camera in their yes. front pocket. So the footage is a little bit weird of it before then. But yeah, it, it definitely was a different attraction. And so that whole showroom, I believe that's all just you know, a, a newer concept, which is amazing in that, uh, that they would put something so terrifying right at the front, which is maybe to say this is a scary ride. Set the tone. Yeah, absolutely. But this is why I think it's important that this ride's scary hmm. and that I hope it always stays scary is that when you're little and you go through something and it scares mm-hmm. you, 
it actually does something important. It makes you more brave. Yep. And it teaches you to overcome your fear. And what I always think about the real magic of Disney is, is it's the people that you experience it with. So that memory of like, this is scary, but if I'm with my dad, I'll always be protected. Right. And maybe your family's divorced and you don't get to see your dad a lot. And that's an early memory you have. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's so many different family narratives. So to go through there and to have to take a leap of faith that all the adults are telling you, you'll be all right. And then when you pull it off at the end, you're like, I'm brave. Right. I did something brave today. So I, I think that the... The fear factor adds a little bit of character. And I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. No. And I think especially for return visits, like it's something, okay, you can't do it this time, but maybe you can do it next time. Um, three levels of storytelling. <laughs> Work your way up to a kit. But when you get into the, the actual showroom, each cart you'll notice is named after one of the dwarfs. And once again, they're using that cast resin to make these carts mm -hmm. look like they're car like little mine carts carved out of wood. They've got animals carved into them. They've got little flourishes on them on the yeah. trim. And that's just the level of a lot of other amusement parks would just have you get in this little metal thing mm -hmm. that they probably would have painted black. Right. So that it's not bright inside. But the fact that the storytelling begins getting on a mine cart in front of the seven dwarves home with mm -hmm. the little tools leaning yep. on the side. I love those tools. <laughs> and then an interesting move. The tree is fully designed, but when you look up above, yeah. the the leaves are flat painted on wood, right. die cut. Right. And, and so it's different planes going in different directions. It's a fantastic effect. It's something that I look at every time. And it's something that looks almost more Sleeping Beauty than it does the original Snow White. And even that owl, that's uh, sort of the, one of the things you see. It's, it says something. I forget what that sign says. But there's a sign there that has an owl. And that owl even looks much more Sleeping Beauty than it does Snow White. But the fact that they did that whole entryway, and I think like you were saying, it's one of the few places where there's that much going on in the queue or yeah. like the loading dock and not just a painting on the wall. Which is actually sort of as we've seen evolution of the park, that's the future to where mm -hmm. the experience begins in the line. Right. Radiator Springs is that way. Uh, it looks like that concept is going to be heavily embraced in Galaxy's Edge. Right. So that's kind of an innovative part of that attraction that's different than its um, sister and brother rides there in Fantasyland. But the important thing is, is we load up in front of the house. Yes. Are you ready to go on the ride with me? I'm ready. So when we come into the scene one, we're inside the house. And what I think is important to keep in mind on this attraction, when we rode it today twice, mm -hmm. I pointed out to Jared, I'm like, you know, this whole attraction would pretty much fit in your average gap <laughs> in a mall. Yes. So they're really using scale the whole time. So what I'm going to focus on sort of the, the design perspective that hopefully will give you a new appreciation of this the next time that you ride this attraction or maybe make it out to the park for the first time is that when you come into the first showroom, you're inside the house and they do something really interesting. They put you in the middle of the house. Mm -hmm. So there's rooms to the right, rooms to the left. You do a little bit of a hook there. Yeah. And so it really feels kind of big, which is an interesting move because you're in a dwarf's home. Right. And it should right. feel small. But it's with with by design, it, it feels big. And a fun fact, the Snow White that you see on those stairs, and those stairs are amazing because mm -hmm. the end of each stair has like a little owl face on it. That Snow White was added years into the attraction being there. Right. Because the idea of all of the Fantasyland attractions are, is you are the hero. So 
if you see Snow White, it's weird because you're supposed to be Snow White. Mm -hmm. But people didn't understand that. And they complained, yo, I took my kid (laughs) to ride this attraction and I never saw Snow White. But I did see the witch six different times. <laughs> yes, it really is the witch's ride. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think of that concept, though? I of think the it's, hero's journey through it. I think it's genius. Mm-hmm. I really think it's genius, and I think it's bold, and I think it's the type of stuff that will never happen again. Yeah. Because we're so worried about making everything so everyone can understand it. Yeah. And I think that that level of imagineering and storytelling shows how bold those artisans were yeah versus now it has to be like here's rocket he's gonna take you on the attraction you gotta find all of his friends like on a lot of the new attractions you're helping them Mm -hmm. the idea to make you the star or you the hero's journey i think that goes back to the concept of yeah it's scary but it wasn't easy to be Snow White. Right. But right. you go through it, you live through it, and, and it builds character. Yeah, and it's no scarier than the movie itself, right? It, oh. it follows exactly the same yeah. terrible storyline. You know, the, the awful things that happened to her are what you're seeing there. Um, but I will say, I want to say before we, we move past that part, is that when you go into that first house scene and you see the animals outside the window and yeah. and uh, them dancing in the room and the little pipe organ, it's probably one of the cutest spots in the entire park that they maintain the style of the animation there for those animals and and of course the dwarves and things like that but the scale of that thing and every little detail that is there i i can't think of a cuter scene in any of the rides even peter pan which is probably a superior ride yeah um the details that, that go into this one are are just the best it, that area in particular has so much coming at you and mm-hmm. you you nailed something there another great design trick for telling stories is there's windows mm-hmm but then there's things outside the window. Right. Don't ever just put up a window and paint the panes dark. If Disney puts up a window, there's a recessed wall and there's going to be a character or something outside the window. And I love that organ that has almost mm-hmm. like the totem pole yep. of, of like little like weird faces that are up it and they're animated and moving. And the little character that's on top of the cuckoo clock, mm-hmm. like it's just so much detail. So from the first person shooter perspective, yeah. You're kind of going through there and you're wrapping around and it's just image overload. And what they've already done is they've disoriented you. Yeah. At that moment, you have no idea which way that you came in, which is going to take us into scene number two, the plotting of the Wicked Witch. So we come outside. The room's much bigger, like the ceiling gets higher and you feel as if you've gone outdoors. Right. So as you see her peering into the good time, it then... (laughs) takes you over to the mine. Now, the mine is really important because our walls come close to us. The ceiling drops. The support horizontal beams are even lower. Mm -hmm. And the ride does that where you're like little to the left, little to the right. right. So it's taking what could be a straight line and it's breaking it in all these little cuts. And each one of those vignettes has the street three story Three levels of storytelling mm-hmm. that Disney does, where it's, you know, a real effect in front of you, the glowing gems, and then like a little landscape off in the back. So if you think about it, we're now in a much tighter, lower ceiling corridor, yep. but we're seeing these little bitty looks that feel like they go off much further than they right. do. right. It's a masterful way to get a lot out of a hallway. Exactly. And that with the switchbacks like that and, and just making it feel like a much longer ride and you're just still in that 
section of the gap. Uh, it's an amazing little trick to like. It'd be interesting to sort of look uh, down on the whole attraction, see the map from of, above, yeah, yeah, see where the rooms are separate and things like that. Because, like you said, it does do a good job of like you don't know where you are or how long you've been on this thing, or like you don't feel a through line all the way through. In the physical cart. And it, it does add the journey mm-hmm. to something that's about two minutes long. Yeah, yeah. So when that scene ends, we're now going to get into what I'm going to rate as one of the top scenes in all of Disneyland. First off, when that scene ends, yeah, right when you hit the two vultures on the tree, the music just goes, you're like, you know, and the music's just <laughs> boom. You're like, whoa. Bad times ahead. That music change right when your cart takes that pivot. Yeah. That's awesome. And then the next part is where it gets great. As those doors open for you and you're looking through the doors, what they did is once again, let's drop our ceiling. Mm -hmm. Let's bring our walls in. And you're looking through a tunnel that has no lights in it. There's no storytelling in that tunnel. But what that tunnel does is it perfectly frames the wicked witch, yeah, the pretty one, talking to herself in the mirror. Right. And as you're looking at that, that is one of the best vignettes of the entire park. Mm-hmm. Another one that uses that same trick when you're in Pirates of the Caribbean, right? And you come into the big battleship scene. They bring that rock work down. They narrow it like a keyhole. Yeah. And when you look ahead, you just see that giant shadow. Maybe the silhouette of a boat in front of you, or maybe you just see the battle on the other side. Yeah. That force storytelling, they use that in all of their concept art, all of their movie posters. It's that three levels. That scene right there is great. Now, if you're a young kid like my niece, who I adore, you're going down that tunnel and you see the pretty version of the Wicked Witch. But when she spins around from that false mirror gimmick, yes. you know, we're all taught if you see a reflection in a mirror, that's going to be what's there. Right. But when it spins around and you get the hideous, ugly witch, my little niece jumped out of her seat <laughs> and I was sitting behind her. I sit in the back. Uncle Mark sits in the back. But my sister-in-law and my wife, they sit shotgun. My little niece was like four years old, five years old, sitting in the middle. And when that witch came around and it was the hideous one, to see her jump and get frightened, yes, it made me so happy. It's fantastic. And they did add some, it looks like they added some scene to the wall there, some effects. The lighting effects. Yeah. yeah. Which you almost don't notice because you are so focused on that character and what's going on right there. It's a nice little plussing of that area almost unnecessary but um it's interesting if you kind of don't pay attention to that witch which is difficult to do the projection there turns everything from like warm Mm -hmm. golden oranges when she turns around it immediately casts like a blue purplish shadow over everything and where they've been able to take the projections and really multi-use Mm-hmm. The spaces like Alice in Wonderland, the right. the redo of that with all the projection gimmicks in there. Oh. It's maybe the best dark ride. That's a whole show. That, well, of course, they all are. <laughs> they all are a whole show. We're going to do a whole episode on the wishing well. I mean, don't get me started. <laughs> but that mirror is absolutely genius. So then we go into the skeletons. And so we leave that room after the, the mirror gimmick. We go into the skeletons. The dungeons. The dungeon. Yes. And once again... We're doing all those little switchbacks. It's just tons and tons of little like hall, like like closet corridors. Right. But it's really making you feel almost with the switchbacks. It makes me feel like we're going further down and mm-hmm. down and exactly. down and down into a dungeon. 
And when it wraps around and you actually see that castle facade that's in there, yeah. that's pretty great that, that it's in there. And with all the skulls, kids love skulls. And when you get around there, we get uh, the witch, right? At the cauldron. Yeah, at the cauldron. Yes. I love that part of the, her at the cauldron, which gets us into the forest. So now we've worked our way down in there. You mm-hmm. can see the big castle. And I was pointing out to you today that it's incredibly dark in there. Yeah. Like like almost so dark that it's disorienting. Yeah. And if you think about it from the perspective of a child again, those trees are real tall, real slender, so it makes them feel even taller. The bark cuts are vertical, mm-hmm. so you got vertical lines. But they did something masterful. The trees actually angle towards you. Right. So when you look up at them, they wrap around your whole peripheral vision. If you are little, those trees with monster faces and arms Mm -hmm. are literally reaching over to grab your soul out of your little body. (laughs) Even as an adult, the way they did that, it does feel like they're coming at you too. So uh, yeah, it's a great effect. And again, an interesting scene from the movie that's sort of out of place in the storytelling, but just to put that in there in that spot is, uh, yeah, it's an interesting choice. I think there's also alligators on the ground. Yeah. So maybe at this point we're crossing a stream or Mm -hmm. we're in a marsh, but I would, I would really encourage you next time you go through there, make sure you keep a look on your hard left, just to look at how much castle facade is like put into that wall there to create that straight line so then you automatically you see a straight line your mind will pivot over to all these obstacles which are all the trees that you're you're working your way through then add that other layer of storytelling there's those floating little bugs Mm -hmm. which is just great (laughs) which brings us around to the climax of the show and this is a quick and fast ride but that climax that little hook turn yeah that you do there's the rock ravine that our heroes, the seven dwarfs, are on. So you're obviously going to follow that. But in the next time you do it, pay attention to how the tree patterns work above you. Mm-hmm. Everything in there is almost an arrow, like this way, this way, this way, this way, this way. Yes. Because they want you to look at the witch trying to pull that boulder on top of you. I mean, it's her job to try to kill us. It is. All fairness. Everybody's got to work. <laughs> but another great Disney move is when it doesn't work out and they do that light effect. Yes. They turn out the light. You can no longer see her. They backlight that cutout. Silhouette, Silhouette. And just the silhouette of her and that, no, and the boom and the bang. And it's been updated with projections, so they're projecting rain Mm -hmm. on them, which adds a mood that it's a do-or-die situation. Uh, But like most things in life, all of a sudden, they did live... Happily ever after, <laughs> which is the end, which feels abrupt. It, oh, very, very much so. Well, as, because you give the, like we said, it's sort of the witch's ride. So that's really the climax. Right? When she dies or falls off, whatever is sort of insinuated with that. Nobody last dies scene. at Disneyland. Right. But it's such a great scene and it goes by so fast. And all you want to do is see that again, right? You want to see that silhouette again. And it's a great effect. Uh, and then we're taken out to sort of a mural uh, of the happy ending. We don't right. get an animatronic or one more Snow White saying goodbye or anything. It's just a painting on a wall. Yeah. It, that part, it's almost like when you're making a sign for a yard sale <laughs> and you start out ambitious with that big Y. Right. <laughs> but the poor L and E in yard sale is always like, 
it's small or it it takes a hook and it's underneath (laughs) everything else it's like uh yeah Here's the thing. We kind of ran out of room for, right. for the prints showing up. Right. But, I mean, would you want to see Snow White, like, asleep? Well. <laughs> you know, I mean, that would be kind of weird. Like, oh, there she is, kid. She's in a coffin. In the glass coffin. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I would thought you would have seen, like, what you see in that mural, but just an animatronic or something like yeah. that. So what more piece to sort of, uh, like, a pleasant end to this sort of harrowing journey? But what a journey it is. Mm-hmm. And if you, you know, if you really focus on the journey and how it probably would make you feel like you just accomplished overcoming your fear, uh, it's really fantastic. One of the things that in my research I was happy to, to figure out is that we see Snow White once. As I mentioned, we see the witch six times. Yeah. Looking through the window, the mirror gimmick, which I love, at the cauldron, the offering the apple inside the little doorway there and then again on the mountain when she tries to kill us if you want to count the silhouette that could maybe be a seventh time yeah but six witches one snow white (laughs) whose name should be on the door so now you wrote this for the first time as an adult as we know you're kind of late to the disneyland oh but i'm making up for it you are did you do you remember writing this for the first time or, or thinking like like getting to this point of appreciation for it or were you were you confused at all when you first wrote it so i don't curse on this show yeah but the first time i wrote it yeah. my reaction was wtf yeah i was just like you gotta be kidding me and i remember taking people on this ride and be like everything's bad and then it's all happy like i would laugh <laughs> at it but i started to in my journey of understanding things and exploring things and really thinking about ride design mm-hmm. once i kind of went through it from a designer's perspective and yes. thought about narrowing those those hallways dropping the ceiling down cuz one would think think of it's a small world mhm you're always in this big Walmart-sized room. Right. The ceiling's the same, and it's just basically cutting up these little vignettes. Yes. But the idea to drop the ceiling, narrow the walkway, make a straight line, you know, a, a, a jig-jag to get this way to that way, all those little switchbacks, like, they really cover an enormous amount of storytelling mm-hmm. in two and a half minutes and in a very small building. Absolutely. I, I think, too, it's like we were saying about Toontown. It's sort of symbolic. Like, you kind of have to have Snow White in the park represented in some big way like that. That's why I would like to see, and I don't want to get ahead of us here, but if you were to plus this ride, yeah. uh, if you were to go through, which I think we're probably due for, like they did with Alice, if they were to plus this ride, is there one area in there that you think needs it? Or would you add more Snow Whites? Or do you have any ideas on what they would do there? I mean, without completely regutting it, yeah, you know, because one of the things we've seen them do, and they're, they're pretty masterful at taking something that exists and... Doing the layover, mm-hmm. you know, like the how the Haunted Mansion becomes the Nightmare Before Christmas. Right, right. It's pretty amazing how well that template just lays over the existing one. So without changing anything too much, mm-hmm. I I do think that there should be a little bit more of a resolution to the end. Mm-hmm. So I almost think that maybe you're right. Like maybe when you come out, with the use of digital boards or whatever, there should maybe be sort of a... A more elaborate... More of a conclusion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one would say that does the mine hallway need to be as long as it is, and does the skeleton... The dungeon dungeon room, need to yeah. be that long? Yeah. But 
if you just narrowed those spaces up, it's not like it's a, a rope and you can cut out a piece and pull everything else right. taut to where you're at. <laughs> you know, you would just then have these awkward gaps to create something else small in. Yeah. So, I mean, it could maybe be plussed up with a little bit more of the um, lighting effects. Yeah. Maybe switch out a couple of the witches for, you know, that new animatronic that we are going nuts for in the Beauty and the Beast attractions right. being built internationally. Right. I mean, a lot of the witches, she doesn't even move. Yeah. It's just a mannequin with an audio Or she track. swings kind of. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe doing that would be great. But my question for you is this. If you take away, because from what I hear, and this is kind of mind-boggling, the next thing they want to do at Disneyland is redo Fantasyland. Oh. Even before they mess with Tomorrowland. Huh. But maybe that's saying what I'm hoping for is that Fantasyland's going to creep into Tomorrowland. And uh, that's expand. why. Yeah. That's why that's the layout. But let me ask you this. Having been to the Florida park right. as, as an adult, and I haven't, um, or as a super fan, I've never been out there. Does the mining roller coaster keep Snow White in the park, but replace the dark ride. Like if they got rid of our dark ride, but gave us the mining coaster and found a place to fit it in. Is that an upgrade? Is that on par or is that a step backwards? So like a lot of things that I think are happening now with the redesigns and the the addition of things, we're losing a lot of charm. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think, you know, you get the thrill ride aspect and that makes sense because it it ages up well and it's, you know, it's a roller coaster and it's fun, but it's not too scary. So, you know, you're still getting young kids and... Uh, and I think that lower level kid suffers the most from a lot of these changes I do because too. It's a, there's nothing for them anymore and it has to age up. The ride is phenomenal. It's a great ride. The carts swing back and forth as you're in them. It's a great effect. The animatronics in there are top notch with the projections on the face like mm-hmm. what we see with Buzz Lightyear in Astro Blasters. Um, the, the scenes are nice. It's mostly a roller coaster that... The when you're in the mine and seeing the animatronics, it's a very small part of the actual ride. So it works better as a cute coaster than it does as a dark ride. Now I'm a big fan of dark rides. I love dark rides. I do too. And just it's my as, sweet spot. Yeah, and as we're talking about it now, you see that it's so many elements to it, and it's more of a puzzle. Yeah. How are you going to compact this film? Tell this story in this tight little way. What are you going to show? What aren't you going to show? Uh, so that aspect of it is completely gone. So I don't put it in the same category as a dark ride, even though there is that element to it. Um, I would. I would like to see the dark ride element expanded if we're going to do some kind of coaster thing. Then I could see more of a happy medium. But I think you need that dark ride element to keep that charm. So say something like the Ariel's uh, Undersea Adventure, which is a very different dark ride, a very big dark ride. I think if you went somewhere between what we have with Snow White, which is small and charming and mm-hmm. cute, and something that's that elaborate as Ariel's where it could get maybe a little sleepy, mm-hmm. um, you need to find a happier medium, I think, between yeah. the two. Cause I would hate to see our Snow White go. I would love to see it plussed. I, I think, too, with it being a 55 original mm-hmm. and this being Walt's Park and this park being so much about the history of the man and the yes. company and the legacy, I feel like it's one of the safest things there. Right. They might brush it up and make it more entertaining for today's child that has a different attention span and a different like entertainment need. Yeah. But I feel like if you're going to treat Disneyland as this historical monument that it is, you can't touch that attraction. Do you feel that way about all of the original? So like something like Toad, it's like, I like the idea of Toad more than I actually like the actual ride, but something like that. Do you think 
plus it or get rid of it? This is going to make a lot of people very unhappy, but I feel like if you keep Peter Pan, which is never going away, right. and you keep Snow White, I feel like Toad could be the casualty that goes. Also, just because that's probably the type of ride that after you ride it, you have to explain to your six-year-old, like, drinking and driving, and, <laughs> you know? I mean, Going to hell at the end after the, yeah. As adults, we think that it's funny, but imagine explaining that to today's child, especially in the PC environment that yeah. most kids in Southern California or kids of means are being raised to. So I, I feel like that one is an oddity, but if you go over to Alice in Wonderland with a shovel in your hand, I'm going to fight you. Yes. And the same thing with Storybook. Uh, land like I that cannot be touched the boats yeah yeah a lot of people were like oh that could go we could put you know because there's these people that want thrill thrill thrills mm -hmm. and I'm all about legacy 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 storytelling yeah and I think I'm more about charm me too if they can replace charm with more charm which seems to be a challenge these yeah. days we're low on charm um that's what's more concerning for me. Cause I'm trying to think back to like, what's the last sort of charming thing they've added. Maybe like that, the, the way they handle that princess court area to the, to the left of the castle, they, they did maintain some charm there, even though they got rid of sort of a beloved place. Like you said, I think Snow White is so precious. It would be dangerous to do too much to that. Yeah. The fantasy fair yeah. expansion that they put up around 2013, 14. Mm -hmm. It's nice. It feels like, it definitely feels like Fantasyland, yeah. even though it's kind of like on the wrong side of the castle. <laughs> right, like those right. are the people who live on the other side of the tracks. <laughs> Stay away. Don't go on the other side of the moat. Uh, but it's kind of if you're not a really young family. Yeah. There's no reason to go to the the little theater in the round there. There's I'm never going over there and standing in line to meet the princesses because right. then they'll arrest me and kick me out of the park. <laughs> so for me, it's, it's for me, it's just a really good shortcut. Yeah you know, out of that area during like nighttime shows and stuff. But I have to give a shout out. Figaro is one of my favorite yes. characters and him just sleeping. Like that cat has so much attitude, even though I'm a dog guy hit that Figaro sleeping on the windowsill there with the bird. Like I love that mm -hmm. little, that little touch. See, that's charm, right? And, yeah. and, and to just put that there for no reason that, that has nothing to do with Pinocchio over there. They just put that there because it was cute and it kind of fit the theming. Like it's surprising that they didn't put that over by the Pinocchio dark ride where it kind of makes more sense. Like I love that kind of stuff. So I hope we see more of that. I'm I'm really fascinated by looking at your art style that you're attracted to charm. <laughs> Seems like a big disconnect nah. to me. <laughs> All right. Well, this is what people want to know. Hey, what's the tips and tricks on the Snow White attraction? Mm. Right? What are the tips and tricks? Well, there's not a ton for an attraction like this, and not all of them have them, but I will tell you what I do know about this attraction. If you're a first timer to Disneyland, mm -hmm. my advice is always ride the Fantasyland rides late at night. Yes. If you stay till a midnight shutdown, wander over in Fantasyland about a quarter after 11, and I promise you, you can ride all five dark rides at once as long as yes. you get in line for Peter Pan at 11.59 p.m. Right. So let me ask you this, though, because this is sometimes an issue for me because I agree with that strategy. What happens with fireworks? Because I know a lot of times they close ah. down Fantasyland for the duration of the fireworks. Do those necessarily, does it necessarily always reopen? It does always reopen okay. because they know that it's the heart of the park. And the reason why is the 
storytelling of Disneyland. Mm -hmm. Projections on the castle, a level of fireworks behind the castle, maybe something in the sky that night, and then the fireworks are over behind Toontown. Right. So you've got three layers. It's not just boom, boom, boom off into the distance. So that area does get shut down from the corner of Mr. Toad over to... um, Pinocchio and King Arthur's uh, carousel, right. all that closes. Now, we'll give you a pro tip while we're here. The Village House restaurant, mm-hmm. that little area over there, that little patio, if you're not worried about projections, if you're not worried about all of that, and maybe you want to have like a great date night, or you want to do a proposal without everybody staring at you, <laughs> that Village House deck The fireworks will be right above you on those trees there to your left. There's normally no one over there. Yeah. Beth and I have watched the fireworks there before with nobody around us. You get to sit down. You got a table to yourself. It'd be a really good opportunity to get down on one knee and be like, you're the princess of my castle. So two things on that. It's Red Rose Tavern now. Whoa, I'm outdated. Yeah. And why do a proposal if no one's watching these days, right? It's got to be grammable. Jumbotron or it didn't happen. (laughs) So the idea is you ride that late. And the rules of Disneyland are this. As long as you're in the line Mm -hmm. before park closes, they will honor that. So if you go over to Peter Pan at 1159, you're going to get on. And then they're going to put a cast member and say, sorry, the ride's closed, but they're going to let everybody there work their way through. Peter Pan, the best dark ride in that area. Yep. And I will tell you this. If I can't take you to the park myself, take the Bricky tour guide, finish with Peter Pan. If you're a first timer, mm-hmm. Peter Pan lasts. It's the kiss goodnight that you're looking for. Yeah. It's such a great, fast, magical way to wrap up a beautiful day of memories at Disneyland. Interesting. Yeah. That one is always scary. We do tend to save that one for the end because it is an awful line most of the day. And even uh, especially when it's hot, when you get into the heart of that line, it is just an armpit. (laughs) But uh, yes, I would agree. It is. It is probably one of the most iconic. I think aside from small world, maybe it's one of the most iconic things about like Disney magic at the parks. And if you're a model enthusiast like I am. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and luckily enough, they take you around the rooms like almost twice, so you yeah. get to see everything. It's it's fantastic, and the 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 plussing up that ride really made it shine. I think. Yes. Now the other thing that I would like for you to know is that if you are doing one of my tips and tricks, if you have a little one with you, mm. put her where we put my niece. Front seat, you know, there's two rows in the carts. They don't put strangers behind you, so right. your party's going to get the cart. Make sure the little ones go on the front. And if you can, mom and dad on the side, little one in the middle, they'll feel safe, and the adventure will be even better that they got to do it with you. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that's the ideal place to put a young child to make sure that you're going to have a good time. Also, if you do have the kids in the front, mom and dad sit behind them, film them, you're going to get some reactions. If it's a first time... <laughs> Those are videos that the family will love to see right. years later when they when those little dumbos are going through there and they have no idea <laughs> what's going to be around the corner. Mm, frightened children are the best. Oh, I love it so much. And then the what does this note have? <laughs> the spinning thingy tip. Oh, the when you're in line. Oh, you're thank in? you, <laughs> thank you so much. The turn stop. Thank you. <laughs> spinny thingy tip. Okay, here's a pro. Here's a, a, a pro tip from me. When you go through the queue, some attractions have a turnstile, or as I wrote in my notes, spinny thingy. Same thing. Spinny thingy, 
Turnstile, same thing. The band Turnstile almost named themselves Spinny Thing, <laughs> but due to copyright infringement, they couldn't do it. So what you want to do before you ever go through a Spinny Thingy at a Disneyland park, yes. do yourself a favor. Make sure that there is enough space for your human on the <laughs> other side. Because I've made the mistake before of being mid-spinny, having the thingy pressing into my gut. Yes. And I'm like, I can't wait for this line to move because <laughs> these bars are sticking into me in places where I shouldn't have things sticking into me. Like, always make sure there's room to cross. It's just like railroad tracks. Yes. You don't ever stop on railroad tracks. Don't stop in the spinny thingy. Which is worse, getting stuck in the spinny thingy or having that person right behind you in line? You know, I love to be the first person in my party yeah. because it gives me the ability to create space for the people in front of me. That's right. But when I go with my wife, I often, I'm the last person because I give her the space not to feel overwhelmed. So I'll take, <laughs> I'll take the mom eating popcorn, breathing on my neck so she doesn't have to. Another fun fact. Whenever we do all the attractions together, yeah. I never get to sit in the inside seat. So today mm. I rode the attraction twice with you. Yes. And I took the inside seat because I always give my wife the first seat. Well, that's very nice. So I see everything from the driver's side. <laughs> <laughs> now, here are my tricks. 15 tricks for Snow White. Here we go. Unbelievable tricks that you'll never know. I Click saved these the for, slides. I looked at these for last. Uh you probably know this, but maybe you don't. You'll look like a Disneyland pro if you're there with people from out of town or mm. you're going there for the first time with your family. Stand over at Peter Pan, Peter Pan's attraction. Mm -hmm. Look over at the top point there of the Snow White show building, the facade. Keep staring at the um, cathedral-shaped window. And about every minute and a half, two minutes, the attractive version of the Wicked Witch will pull open that curtain and, and glare down on you. And it's just one of those little like sneaky peeks that are in the park that, you know, a lot of us know. And there's, these are the things like 10 Disney things you don't know. <laughs> a lot of people know it, but if you don't, it's a really good thing to tell your family, like watch up there. And when it happens, they're like, Whoa, that's cool. We should add something to the, to the legend of that. Just say it does something else. <laughs> and people will just watch it constantly for her to do something different. I will tell you this. Uh, one of my favorite characters in the park yeah. are the women that they have play the Wicked mm. Witch. Yes. Normally very easy on the eye, and they allow them to play a very sour and sassy character. So if you talk to her, yep. she will insult you back. She will like turn her head at you and basically treat you like trash. And I absolutely, <laughs> I don't know if that's something about me, but I absolutely <laughs> love that character in the park. Is very that a sassy. recent thing? Because I know that's a big thing now. Like yeah. Cruella is amazing as well. Uh, any of the villain characters that are face characters um, are really into it um but is that a recent thing i i don't remember it always being the case hey i only know uh six years of Disney. true true so i mean what are you doing i'm i'm, I'm just a new expert <laughs> one of the other things uh this is one of the rides that you will see or this is one of the attractions you'll see represented over in phantasmic hmm. and they do use in a weird storytelling they use Snow White's Wicked Witch that kind of somehow in the show turns into Maleficent, right? <laughs> yeah. Like it kind right, of starts right, out right. as one villain right. and then just goes to another one. But it does show sort of how they try to incorporate this. So on Fantasmic, uh, a fun fact is both Snow White and the Witch are both in that attraction. Yes. So it's really from, from both sides. Uh, another one is that when 
you walk up to the attraction. There's sort of a, a gold book that's mm-hmm. open. Touch the book. Touch the apple above it. You might get a little bit of a surprise. It will not shock you, but it <laughs> not like it's going to electrify you, but there's a little bit of a surprise there. So maybe if you're with kids or, you know, people from out of town, suggest them like you should touch that apple. Right. Because it's always right. more fun when somebody doesn't know what's going to happen. And then the last little fun fact about the church, the, the, the ride is that when the witch kind of comes out of that little barn yes. and has the apple, you're pretty close to her. Mm-hmm. And back in the day, Guests used to steal the apple out of her hands. Rotten kids. Yes. Rotten kids as a kind of a world-class Disneyland souvenir. Uh, so now there's, they say it's a hologram, but it's more of a mirror effect. Yeah. So you see what looks like an apple there, but there's not really an apple there because they got sick of those damn kids stealing the apple. <laughs> Which made me ask you, why don't they sell like candy apples or apples like just right outside of that attraction? Yeah, yeah. There should totally be an should. apple stand right there. <laughs> but that, my friends, is anything and everything that we know about Snow White at Disneyland. When was the last time you watched that film, actually? Oh, I haven't seen that film in decades. Yeah, yeah. And it's amazing to me that, that it has such a place in the park still. It's fantastic. I wonder, do parents take their kids back in that far in the catalog Mm. or do parents today's parents just start at the films that they watch would today's parents probably started in it like aladdin lion king like Mm. you know the renaissance era so i wonder do we know snow white as a global icon but if we went to the park right now and started asking four-year-old girls and boys who's this person they might know it's snow white but have they seen the movie right Exactly. I think that's probably the case. I think they know it probably in context of the park yeah. more than they do the film. But I think that I'm, I'm going to go ahead and lobby right now. Okay. Bit. When I think about the expansion of Fantasyland yeah. over into some of the space that's used currently for Tomorrowland, I think a big part of what they need to do is really hold on to that legacy mm-hmm. of the brand and tell the story, you know, as we get further and further away from Walt Disney. You know, we're in a moment right now where it seems about every month somebody from his life is no longer with us. Yes. Family members, coworkers, you know, people that he trained and worked underneath them. Like his story month by month is going more into legend and, and further away from fact. Sure. And so I, I think that some of these films, even though the children of 2042 maybe aren't watching them. I think that if they want to keep Disneyland sort of this like pure historical American classic that they tell you it is when you get on the monorail, Mm -hmm. I think that they have to, they have to be the ones that keep some of these torches lit. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, they, they certainly haven't abandoned her as a, no. as a character. Um, she appears because of the popularity of the princess line and that that's something that's constantly growing. Like we saw in the more recent Wreck-It Ralph film, she was included when they did all these princesses in that line. So I think from that perspective, you know, because of the princess thing itself, she will endure. It's the it's the film itself, I wonder, that yeah, we'll see how long that... Because it's such a shame that it, it does represent the beginning of animation as we know it today uh, for that to sort of slip away. But I can see why it's, it is a terrifying film. I mean, imagine this, though. Um, 2037. Okay. There's a great chance to remake it for its 100th anniversary. Ah. Uh, 
do something with it then. I mean, is that not insane? The 100th anniversary I, of I Snow have, White? Yeah. I mean, even the, the younger films, it's amazing how long that these things have been around and still stand up, a lot of them. Yeah. So the, I, I, I think that moving forward, you know, there's going to be things that have to go away. You can't hold on to it all. Mm. And when I lived in Buffalo, New York, which is a city that has a very rich history, but was hit by hard economic times. Yeah. There's a certain amount of the population of that city that doesn't want any of these old buildings torn down. Right. But as my father-in-law would always point out, what are we going to do with all these old buildings that are rotting to their core? Like you can't save it all. Mm -hmm. So I think with that same mindset of Disneyland, there has to be a keeper of the gate that says, these are our no fly zones. Mm -hmm. But, um, a buzz is blasters. I mean, there's, that, right. that could go away. Of course. You know, there, yeah. there, there are things there that maybe just didn't totally hit or resonate, you know? Right. Uh, the Roger Rabbit, that's that's something that, you, there's not like a big cultural significance around that. And that's something that's starting to feel kind of like Splash Mountain a little bit outside of society's guidelines today. Mm. So, you know, I think you just kind of, you realize the things that are culture. And then you realize other things are uh, a room for improvement. But I think that they do owe it to the legacy of the park to be a keeper of the gate for certain things that just they can't touch. Yeah. And I think certain things make more sense. So I know you talked about the Beauty and the Beast ride, uh, the animatronic and, and that new thing coming to Anaheim. Yeah. That fits in, right? You can see that kind of storytelling fitting in with the existing storybook land. Yeah. I did a breakdown of that over on the, my YouTube channel. If you'd like to visit, I'd certainly appreciate it. It's youtube.com slash adventures and design. Catch me each and every Friday when I do a Disneyland for designers news update sorry there's no jared it's just me <laughs> but that actually sounded better i think <laughs> you know what i mean no defense just do no that. Offense. oh of course not. yeah I, I, I my favorite thing about this is our friendship yes but i'm just a simple man from indiana <laughs> i can't get anything With out these of these fancy names <laughs> i didn't know i was gonna meet you i mean you got jared smith my co-host but I, I i really think that um moving forward something like beauty and the beast and i, I really kind of broke down like if mm -hmm. if that were over where autotopia is mm. that would create strong sight lines from it's a small world from matterhorn you know like if you went, ties it in yeah it ties it in and if you went on the other side of alice in the wonderland and you just kept walking through more village yep more little shops more little places of intrigue you know more little corridors to sort of suck you in and and get quite honestly, more people off the main thoroughfare. Mm -hmm. I really think that there is a way to do that. And um, one of the, the the people that watch the videos, like, I absolutely agree with you. And I think the perfect entryway to uh, a Beauty and the Beast attraction would be that boat dock that we like to sit on. Uh, yeah. When we just go out there and sit down and just hang out and talk art and talk Disney and life. Imagine just walking across mm -hmm. that to go into Disneyland's second castle. Yeah. It's on the back perimeter. Some of that nice rock work there to not let you see show buildings and whatnot. Like, I, I just feel like that would make it feel that much more infinite. Yes. You know? And, and to utilize that Matterhorn placement and yeah. to really tie that more into Fantasyland, because it's a perfect backdrop. Like we were saying on that Storybook Land boat ride, just to see that in the background with some of that miniature village, it's fantastic. So I think that would be a great, great spot for it. Oh, man. That just, like, I know that there was talk of a Fantasia ride over there, a boat ride and everything. And I would love to see that, of course. But yeah, that's a whole pocket that needs to be utilized. You know, I, I've really been thinking a lot about with the 
the advent of Marvel Land, which mm-hmm. we surprisingly talked about early in today's show about Snow White, <laughs> that that's you know one phase for sure. A second phase seems pretty likable. Yeah. A third phase doesn't seem impossible. You know, all my Disneyland theories, I like to think, have a strong realism to it. Right. Never going to be the guys like, what they should do is take Snow White. They should move that over to where <laughs> the Star Wars ride is now. Like, the rides don't move. Right. We, we, these aren't mobile homes. They're not going to like put it on a flatbed and drive it around the outside. Right. So I like to have everything with a, a sense of realism. But I think if you really look at... You know, Tomorrowland's not going away. Mm-hmm. It's just now called Marvel Land, right? And it and it's it's forward, future facing over there, and it's always going to evolve because those movies will always evolve. And if you think of Star Wars Land as the promise of space and exploration, true, you could take an enormous amount of land, damn near a third or more than a third of of all of Disneyland, and you could cut it up more Fantasyland would be great for that storytelling and that sort of exploration. It also importantly serves, you know, I know it's good for the family, but it gives good role models and good leadership to young women. Mm. And as we're trying to make our society more diverse, I think more fantasy land gives the girls, you know, and I know the girls like Star Wars and like superheroes, but there are certain things that we are drawn to, you know, Uh like I could put toys out on the floor and my nephew's probably going to play with the dump truck and my niece is probably going to play with the doll. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's not bad. It's the way that we are. So I think more fantasy land adds a little bit more of gender balance in the park, strong heroines and stuff like that. Mm, Yeah. Well, especially with things with the new storytelling too, it makes me even more sense with like with frozen and just some of these characters that we're seeing, even, even tangled to a certain degree. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That would make sense. I mean, I'm all for more fantasy land. If there's any land that, that should get an expansion at a Disney park, I think it's always fantasy land. And then with that extra parcel of land, I, I don't think more Main Street is a bad idea because, right. and people, but, 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 but Walt wanted a Tomorrowland. Walt also wanted a second road for Main Street USA. Yeah. He wanted to do that back corridor where you could literally walk down a street and felt like you walked across Europe and ended up in Asia. Yeah. So I'm imagining that with how popular Disneyland is and how it doesn't seem to be slowing down, it might not be a bad thing that when guests come in the front, you know, you come in, I, for whatever reason, always pick the tunnel on the right. Right. That's just my way. To enter. Yes. Yeah. That's the way that I go in. But it, I don't think for the future it would necessarily be bad that you have a choose your own adventure of left or right. Mm. Do you want to go down Main Street or do you want to go down International Street? Oh, I see. So you would go right into. Oh, yeah, that would be interesting because that would add two different corridors to go down to. It would add a lot more shops, restaurants. Disneyland's also becoming about premium events, so it would give you, you know, maybe. The second level of something that could be not necessarily Club 33. Right. But Disneyland is kind of missing reservations and table service for the California customer. There's not a lot of it inside the gates. And I know people that are like, the ticket price is already so high. You got to think about a little something for everybody. Yeah. And an expansion of Marvel Land could put more hot dogs on the street and more, you know, fine dining in a seat. You know, it could do both of those things. But How would you feel about with Main Street, though, um, uh, pushing back into, say, Tomorrowland, somehow working around yeah. um, Space Mountain, because that's probably not going to go anywhere. But maybe that you don't push out the actual street, but that it's just maybe you enter through a shop that's existing on mm. and, and just push back that way instead of actually adding a different 
I, I like that that street forces you down the way that it does. I do too. I just wonder about future popularity. Mm. And I'm also, I'm existing on a theory that the Amazon effect is killing retail. Mm. If you go to any mall in America, if you go to any major thoroughfare of shopping in America or any strip mall, shops are closing. Yeah. But people still need to go out and, and live their lives. Yeah. So entertainment is the pastime, you know, going to the mall, going shopping used to be something. When we look at how crowded Disneyland is, yeah, I think that that is a realistic model of the next couple of years or the next decade of society where malls are now converting over and bringing back arcades, mm-hmm. you know, experience. Like experience is the new retail. It's the new thing that people go out and do uh, because people are, theoretically saving money by shopping online and saving time. Mm-hmm. They have the funds to go and do these things. Also the FOMO generation of Instagram makes it, well, we could go here <laughs> and show everybody else that right. we're on vacation at Disneyland right. or we're lucky enough to live in Southern California. So I think that expanding that area is going to be able to keep up with the demand of more and more people visiting the park mm-hmm. and only having one way in and one way out yeah. gets a little bit more taxing year after year. I also think, too, and my most important concern with this whole area, and maybe this is the future of Mr. Lincoln, which mm. historically it's a part of the World's Fair. It's with the first animatronic. It's, it was near and dear to Walt. But I want to think that Main Street USA can be two things. It can make Disneyland feel like a real city, which mm-hmm. I think is a very important illusion of the park. Right. I think that it can provide services for guests, shopping, food, whatever, you know, first aid, whatever it is, place to change your child, all those type of, you know, human needs that the park needs to keep up with. But I also think that it creates a tremendous opportunity to share the legacy, the story and the history of Disneyland. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm lobbying hard. And every year when I vote for my Imagineers and I vote for the Council of Disneyland, as all citizens of Disneyland do, <laughs> JK still don't have the button, even though I've been 225 <laughs> times and I've sold tickets to people all around the globe and given tours to people all around the world. No cast member's ever seen me as an exceptional customer and given me a citizens of Disneyland button. Oh, they did once because my wife, like, he comes here every day and tries to get the button. And she's like, here it is. And I said, I can't accept that because that's a pity button. <laughs> I need to earn Nothing it. worse, yeah. I need yeah. to earn it. I want it to happen el natural, like it did for my sister-in-law on her very first trip. There you go. Or Sean Mort on his little British butt's first trip. <laughs> Can't happen for me. But anyways, I'm lobbying hard for, because I'm thinking about Disneyland at 150. Right. Let's just double up. Mm-hmm. And I'm really trying to think about what it all means. And and I think that it's so impressive. It's the first of its kind. And I know they have the family Disney Museum up in San Francisco. And right. I would love to go and see it. I haven't done it yet. Mm. It's nice to keep a little something in your back pocket for That's a rainy right. day. But I would really, really love to see them do a little bit more of preserving that. And, you know, you know, I'm in love with the idea of sort of a dark ride where it's the history of Disney. Right. right. And at... It's designed in a way where vignettes can change out. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. they could be set dressed for special anniversaries, special years, special things like that. So I think that with Marvel Land looking a lot like Tomorrowland, I think with, dare I say, an Avengers roller coaster that's enclosed in darkness, maybe says, do we need Space Mountain? Right. 
Right. I know that's not a popular. Nope. That's not a popular thing to say. And we just got um, a thumbs down and one star ratings on iTunes. <laughs> Because of the Space Mountain or Tomorrowland in general? Oh, all of this. It, yeah. it rubs people the wrong way, but I would just actually like, let's not, let's not like, let this be like American politics. Right. I'm just asking you to really think about the next hundred years to keep in mind that they are dedicated to properties and that's not going to change. Mm-hmm. So I would ask you, person who right now is giving me a one star review on iTunes, mm-hmm. what's your favorite property? Is it the movie that you just saw? The movie you just saw as a child, or is your favorite property Disneyland? Yeah. No further questions, Your Honor. <laughs> Mic drop. Hey, friends, that's the free version of today's episode of Disneyland for Designers. We'll be back in March with our third episode. I hope you're enjoying it. And if you are, could you please leave us as many stars as possible wherever you're listening and a positive review? That will only help more folks like us get together once a month and talk about Disneyland. Don't forget that you can find me over on youtube.com slash adventures in design where i pop up each and every monday through friday doing a live stream fridays are dedicated to disneyland but if disney magic breaks i'll talk about it i did a two-part series on snow white the evolution the idea the concept and how she played so much into building both the idea of disneyland and the disney corporation to hear part two of today's episode it would be awesome if you went to aid.network and become a member of the circle of trust that's how i support making the podcast 200 times a year, Monday through Friday, I keep creatives all around the world entertained and educated. As they're working along, I try to entertain you and make you laugh and maybe learn something from one of my guests. Join today and get the full archive of 900 episodes, the full version of each and every episode. And in part two today, Jared and I look at the ideology of Disneyland. What's sacred, what needs to stay, and what do we feel could maybe go away? Also, we sort of look at some different rumors about Star Wars Galaxy's Edge that have been surfacing from different media outlets. Are they all pulling from the same gossip, or was there maybe a PR line that was slipped on the eh 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 eh? Who knows, but we explore it all, as well as our love of Disneyland Anaheim, and why we feel this park has a certain sort of magic that you don't find in other parks here in the U.S. and around the world globally. Hear all of that and so much more when you sign up today at AID.network and support Disneyland for Designers and all of the Adventures in Design program coming to you five days a week. What do you say we get started with 30 more minutes of Disneyland for Designers starting for Circle of Trust members right now? Oh, I don't know. That's so hard. I, 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 I fall somewhere in between. I, I feel like if they just plunk down a, a great attraction there and just forget about the conceptual side of it, because like we said, that just doesn't work. Great idea. doesn't work. That might have to be the, the solution to sort of save one of the original lands. I just getting rid of a land seems painful, but I get what you're saying. I, I could just I can argue it that tomorrow land is still there. It's called Marvel Land. <laughs> right, right. You know, right. it just moved a yeah. little bit, but it's the same <laughs> idea, you know? Yeah. Because I just, I don't want to see them keep trying to reinvent the future. And unfortunately, because you always catch up with the future and you're always wrong. Right, because right. at 2000, we thought we'd have cars that fly. Yes. We're now 19 years past that deadline, and cars are still very much on the road. We think a Tesla is amazing because it doesn't need gas, <laughs> and the whole bottom of it is battery cells. <laughs> but I, I would encourage people to think about like the long-term plan, Yeah, and keep in mind, whether you like it or not, 
things tethered to properties is just the way that it goes. Yeah. Because Disneyland does belong to the next generation. And unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on where you stand, I'm in the entertainment business, so I'm going to say fortunately, consumerism is American culture. Mm -hmm. On the new millennium, when we turn year 2000, obviously I was in my Y2K shack. Yes. With all of my yeah. surplus of gold <laughs> coins and ammunition around me and bottled water for days. Canned food, yeah. I was watching on a little TV in my Y2K shack. And what they did was is they showed the year 2000 all around the globe. Mm-hmm. At the top of each hour, they showed, you know, islanders doing their 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 ceremonial fire and their boats out on the beach. And they, they showed, you know, the, the eye in the UK and those Tetris buildings in Russia and Mm -hmm. running out of deep things to say about other places in the world, but they just showed all this culture. And then they got to our time zone, Eastern time zone when I lived out East and they showed Manhattan and they showed Times Square and all the billboards and drink Coca-Cola and buy this. And it made me realize that consumerism, is our culture. Yes. And that's what we give to the world. Yep. People from all around the world want to come to America because they want to shop. Mm-hmm. They want to see Hollywood. They want to go inside the movies. We give the world pop culture. The world gave us history. And I think that Disneyland expanding around the globe is giving people a little injection of, hey, you may be middle class. Mom and dad may not always get along. But today we can go to Disneyland as a family and have a good time yeah. and create memories that maybe overwrite the last six months or the last year. And it'll be a time that we'll always remember. I don't have many good memories of my mom. Mm-hmm. I remember going to Disneyland with her when I was four. Right. Right. So do you think uh, when you look at something like Paris where it's, it's, it's not so Wait. embracing of America, uh, American culture, or even like what you just described as sort of Blade Runner future, do you think that that's a harder sell somewhere like that? Or did you feel that when you were there? So when I went there, I, I said, Tony Baxter outdid himself. Yeah. This is a beautiful park. Yes. And you cannot even imagine how nice it feels to have the extra space. Sure. When you come through Frontierland and you see...